was was leaning on what what pastor has been talking about these past couple of weeks um and and really it involves obviously the sila so the, the title of my sermon is resting in the sila and and i was thinking about praying about what what the lord wanted me to share and um and obviously my my thoughts went to that so i've been studying sila for a little while now along with many of you right and I also recognize that it is Halloween. It's the, the holiday of Halloween. And, and whether you celebrate Halloween or not, and most of us don't, um, you are inundated with it everywhere you go nowadays. And, and a lot of people have toned it down where they're just, you know, it's fall for them. So they put pumpkins and hay bales and stuff around their house. Other people go all out and you'll see these giant, skeletons and blow up ghosts and things all around the neighborhood um and then then you see the in-between people like us who don't do anything there's not a pumpkin around our house to be found Uh, but it used to be my favorite holiday as a kid and and you can tell why um you know to this day i love candy and and it was the one time of year where you could go to somebody's house and say give me candy and that's exactly what they did is give you candy um, so, you know, we would go around trick-or-treating, and, and we would get candy. My, we grew up poor. We grew up in a very poor neighborhood, and, and there were mostly apartments around maybe the, the five or six houses on our block. And, and so you know we were not going to go from apartment to apartment trick-or-treating because you know they weren't going to give you anything. And we knew the neighbors to our left and to our right, and, and they were older people, um, and one woman, the next door neighbor to our right, was an um, older woman. We helped her with her lawn and different things. And she, we knew she was not going to have candy because she was all by herself. So she wasn't going to go to the store and buy all this candy for kids and then have to traipse up and down and open the door and come back and open the door and come back. So we knew our neighborhood was not going to give us candy. So my, my father had the bright idea, and, and Barry knows this, as all good Mexican fathers know, we went to the rich people's houses. We went to the Highland Parks. We went to the Preston Hollows. We went to all the nice neighborhoods. Um, and, and so you would r- see us running from house to house getting candy. And, and the rich people, they love to give out candy. And, and so they would, we would get the big bars of candy too, not just the little minis, the, but the big ones. We loved going to those houses. And we would, my dad would drive us up to the corner, and he would just kind of wait. And we would go up the block, kind of like a mailman, up the block, cross the street, down the block, and we would meet back with him. And he was just waiting in the car for us. Um, this was the, the 80s, the 90s, you know. My dad wasn't even with us. He was waiting in the car. I can't even imagine leaving our girls to go walk from house to house getting candy. Uh, we did not necessarily dress up. Well, I mean, we did dress up, but it wasn't like we went off and, and bought costumes. We just found whatever was in the house, and we put it on. One year, I went as, a, as an IRS agent. I had a nice shirt. I got a piece of paper, and I put IRS on that piece of paper and hung it from my pocket. And, and one guy um, said, you know, you're, you're probably the scariest costume this season, the IRS. Come into my door. But it was great. I loved Halloween. I loved getting the candy that was coming from there. And I started to see a progression for Halloween as I grew up. Obviously, later in life, it, it became less of a thing. And, and so as a, as a teenager, I really didn't go trick-or-treating anymore. And then I, I joined the church here, and, and obviously we had activities 
during church events and stuff that had little to do with Halloween, but obviously had a little bit to do with the season as well. So when I started coming here around the time of Halloween, we, we went and um, experienced what was called a hell house. I don't know if you remember this back in the day. And they still do them, but we went to hell house. And it was similar to a haunted house, except that it had a, a Christian message incorporated with it. So we would go to a, a mega church or a big church um, in, in our metroplex, and, and they had scenes, various scenes in rooms, like Sunday school rooms, that you would walk into, and, and they would try to scare the hell out of you, scare the hell out of you, right? So you go into these different rooms, and, and there was a, a scene where, you know, people were taking drugs, and there was a scene where, where someone was having an abortion. I mean, it was just all these crazy, scary scenes of, of things that happened every day. Um, and, and then at the end, you, you are thrust into a coffin. You remember this. You were thrust into a, a coffin that's standing up, and then these people would bang on the coffin, and it would, they would try to scare you, and then you would come out the other side of the coffin into an area that was decorated like hell. And there was a, a Satan there, and he was saying, you are now mine, blah, blah, blah. And then the scene after that, I know it's scary stuff. The scene after that was uh, Jesus coming to redeem you. And then you would have this scene of heaven, and you know um, Jesus died on the cross for you. And, and after that, they would give a salvation message. And so many people who went through that experience, uh, hopefully they got the, the, scare, the hell scared out of them, but, but they accepted the Lord, and many people accept the Lord at that time and were invited to church, etc., during this, this hell house um, that they experienced. We see this too. <clears throat> well, we don't see that. But we see, um, we have seen also a progression for people who didn't want to do that sort of thing and in, a, in a trunk or treat where they would have just in the parking lot uh, cars open with um, candy the kids to come to church at, at like a, a festival kind of thing and then just experience the joy of going from car to car and getting candy but but be more of in a in a church environment and be a little bit safer we actually attended one this past weekend we took the girls to fellowship church uh, we were invited by one of the girls friends from school and and they said come on over and they put together this this beautiful just trunk or treat where you could play some games, get some candy. They had food. They had hot dogs and drinks. And they, they had a story walk, which was really, really very sweet. It was like a hell house, but it was not a hell house. It was the story of redemption. And so it, it talked about, and not scary at all, but very similar. Then you go from room to room, and they talked about Abraham. They talked about Noah. And then they eventually got to Christ and his redemption and his love, etc. And then they said, you know, if anybody wants to accept the Lord um, as their Savior, you know, we'll pray with you, etc. And then they gave out little Bibles at the end. So very nice, very sweet, very beautiful. And I looked at that, that, that scene and I thought, you know, we, this church could have done something like that. We, we have the the facilities we have the people we have the the wherewithal to put something like this together and and it wasn't a a jealous thought it wasn't a we should be doing this kind of thing thought because my other thought was uh, wow this would have been a nightmare to put together I, I definitely am glad we are not doing something like this the the logistics around it the getting people together 
Uh, I get annoyed very quickly with, with people. I'm sorry. And um, I know I would have been annoyed by not necessarily our people putting it together, but the people coming in, all this stuff. And, and so my mind just was just going there, just kind of thinking through, this is a church putting together this event. What does it look like at, at our church? What, what is this? And, and again, it wasn't a, a jealousy thing. It wasn't me saying this is the kind of thing that we should be doing. Um, it was just a thought of what would it take to put something like this together. And, and my thoughts went to the capabilities of our people and how capable we would have been to do something like that. And, and the, I think the Lord led me down that path because of our very specific calling. You, you look at where we are today and, and where we came from many, many, many years ago. Um, I, I remember Dan Hunter and I talking about the logistics of a hell house and, and the kinds of things that we wanted to do here at this church. And, and I, I recognize that the Lord took us down a very different path. And, and I apologize to the saints who are watching or listening to this later because I'm going to get, um, I don't want to say nostalgic, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about specific things that have happened to us as the Father's Church specifically. And, and I hope you will hear the message as it relates to you. But I, I want to talk to our people for just a minute. I think about where the Lord took us from and, and even where we're going as, as a body. Um, because I, I know we had hundreds of people attending this church, hundreds of people that were in these pews and, and in the overflow, uh, in the balcony. We had a, a larger team in, in worship. We had all these things that, that I believe set us up to have more of a community-oriented mega church-style church. And at some point in time, pastor felt a leading to, I think, release that and, and say, Lord, what is it that you want? And, and the Lord very specifically told him intercession. I want you to intercede. I want you to come to me. I want, I want you to follow my heart and, and my desires. And, and it, I think it broke something in the mentality of a lot of people in the church at the time. And, and that's why you see the, the saints that you see today, the, the people who are steadfast and said, that's, that's, I know what, that's what the Lord wants, so that's what I want for me as well. Um, so I, I say all that because I know there was ability and there was desire, but there was not necessarily a calling to do something like that. The calling was for something else. And I want to read a very, very lengthy passage of Scripture with you. It's in your notes. It's in the Bible. But I want you to see the story. I want to read the story because I think it's, it's very important. So it is long. Bear with me. We're going we're gonna to take some breaks. We're going to take some sea laws in between to, to talk about these passages. But I think it's super important for us to look at them. So Numbers chapter 4, verse 13. And they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth thereon, and they shall put upon it all the vessels thereof wherewith they minister about it, even the censers, the flesh hooks, and the shovels, and the basins, all the vessels of the altar. And they shall spread upon it a covering of badger skins and put to the staves of it. 
And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is set is to set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it. But they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. What does that mean? So the tabernacle was designed to be set up and, and brought back down at a moment's notice for the Israelites to continue moving forward in, in the path of God. And, and God gave them very clear logistical instructions on how the thing was supposed to be built, how the thing was supposed to be put away, and who was doing what at what time. And, and so we see in the book of Numbers all these references to how it's set up, how you create the incense, how you break it down, what it's supposed to be made of, the columns, the pillars, the width, the height, all of these things. So, so logistically, God is saying, here's everything that needs to happen. It almost reads like a manual of how to set up a tabernacle. And, and you can read this and truly understand the, the magnanimity of this thing because it was so massive and it, it was a huge undertaking. And, and towards the end of Numbers chapter 4, he says, this is how you are going to pick up and move these things. So the sons of Aaron are going to wrap, individually wrap, all of the vessels that we use for worship. The hooks, the, uh, the shovels, the basins, the censers, all of these things. He says, you're gonna, we're going to remove the ashes and then with a blue cloth and a purple cloth and this type of cloth. You're going to put it on the altar and you're going to cover it. Um, and, and he begins to talk about all these things. And then towards the end, he says, after you're done with all of that, then the sons of Kohath are going to come in, and they're the ones that are going to carry all of these things. They're not allowed to touch them. They're covered, right? So they've got the, the coverings on them. They're not allowed to say, hey, that one hasn't been covered. Let me go over there and just cover it real quick so I can bring it with the rest of the stuff. You, you see that whenever you're setting up uh, at an event, right? We've, we have conferences here, and, and there are times when you see something. There's people that are in charge of, of, of vacuuming, people that are in charge of cleaning the bathroom, people in charge of picking up the trash. And it would have been like if someone saw a piece of trash and, and we said, you're not allowed to pick up that piece of trash. Yes, it would help the conference, but no, you, you can't pick up that piece of trash. That's, that's a sign to somebody else. If you pick up that piece of trash, you will surely die. So the sons of Kohath are thinking, man, we, we can do this. We can, we can help rap. It's not that big a deal. And, and God made it very clear, just don't do it. So we come to Numbers chapter 16. This, these, this particular portion of the tribe has felt oppressed in this way for a very long time. Now Korah, number 16, 1, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, so the great-grandson of Kohath, I'm sorry, the grandson of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Ibarim, the sons of Eliab, and On, the sons of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. They rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. These were pillars of the community, people who were part of, of moving the tabernacle, of understanding the ins and outs of the tabernacle. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, 
you take too much upon you seeing all the congregation are holy every one of them and the lord is among them wherefore then lift you up yourselves above the congregation of the lord this is not a call to say hey you're man, you're really busy you're taking too much burden on yourself let us help you that's not what they were saying they were saying you promote yourself too much you think higher of yourself than you really are verse 4 and when moses heard it he fell upon his face and he spoke unto korah and to all his company saying even tomorrow the lord will show who are his and who is holy and will cause him to come near unto him even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him this do take your censers korah and all his company and put fire therein and put incense in them before the lord tomorrow and it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy, because you take too much upon you, sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you that God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near to him and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee and seek you the priesthood also for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the lord what is aaron that you murmur against him so so we see this battle ensuing we see these people coming up rising up these 250 princesses princes and and korah and and dathan and and um Eliab, or the sons of Eliab, abiram the sons of Eliab, coming together these three guys coming together and, and saying, Moses, you think of yourself way too much. We have just as much authority as you do. So they're rising up, and they're saying, we could do this. And, and Moses said, you guys need to calm down. Who do you think you are? I'll, we'll do this. You guys get your censers, put incense in it, light it up, and come out. And tomorrow we're going to see who God thinks is holy. He's the one that's going to determine all of this. I truly believe when the Bible says that he fell on his face, that the Lord was speaking through him it was a prophetic unction from the lord and, and moses speaking directly or the lord speaking through moses directly to them saying this is how we're going to figure this out and and so we see these guys coming together and and rising up they're they're fighting they they think they know what they should be doing number 16 verse 28 and moses said hereby you shall know that the lord has sent me to do all these works for i have not done them of my own mind if these men die the common death of all men, <clears throat> or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord makes a new thing, and the earth opens her mouth and swallows them up with all that appertains unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation and all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men. I know, it's scary. 
the 250 men that offered incense. Wow. So these guys, they come out. They're saying, hey, we're going to see who God loves and who's, who's going to be in charge from here on out. They, got, they have their incense. These 250 men have their incense. They have their censers. And Moses starts speaking, and he says, this is how we're going to do it. God, if nothing happens, if these guys live to a ripe old age, as soon as I'm done talking, these guys live to a ripe old age, then we'll know that they should be in charge. But if when I'm done talking, the Lord does something different, the Lord does something incredible, then we'll know who his favorite is or who his, who his anointed is. And as soon as he stops speaking, the Bible says, the earth opened up and they died. They fell through. There was no pause. There was no sila. It was he was done talking. Earthquake opened up. They fell down and died. And all of a sudden, people are scrambling. Oh, my goodness. Shouldn't be here. Started running. And, and the Bible says that fire came and consumed the rest of the men who had their, their censors with them. Then we read. Last thing about this long passage. Numbers 26, 11. It, it talks about. Uh, the, the Lord God saying, hey, I want you to bring all these people and, and I want you to count them because we're going to divide up the land. And at the end of Numbers 26, 11, it says, notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. So understand that Korah, as an individual, came and he opposed Moses and he opposed the Lord. And he was consumed immediately in that, that earthquake that I'm going to start calling it, an earthquake, that the opening up of the earth. But his children were not. His children were allowed to live. What, what we don't see is that same thing happening to um, the other two guys and, and the, the 250. The Bible says that everything that appertained to them, I love that word, everything that appertained to them was consumed. So most likely wives and children at that point. Why, why not the children of Korah? I, I think that's significant. And, and it becomes significant later, and specifically when we start to talk about the sila. You see, the, 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 the line, the sons, the line of Korah were designed to carry the tabernacle when it was done and, and, and cleaned up and ready to be moved. That was their job. Their job was to move this thing from place to place. When, when there was no tabernacle, their, their, their calling was to serve. So when there was no tabernacle, we see a shift from the, the carrying of the stuff into more of a music ministry, and that's specifically found in the book of Psalms. So some Bibles have it at the top before um, it says Psalm 46 or 32 or whatever it might be. There's a little line that says, and it's in your sheet, a little handout. It says, to whom is this for, or is it written to? I have copied and pasted those lines on the sheet. There are more than the ones that we're going to be reading today. Um, so if you have a Bible that doesn't have it, just know that there's a different Bible um, that has those sayings at the top, who it was written to. So we see this first one here in Psalms chapter 42, and it says, To the chief musician, Maschil, for the sons of Korah. We see a shift then from the carrying from to the of the tabernacle to the singing of songs, psalms, and, and recitation of the words of the poet 
in, in, in order to stand in front of the people of God and to have them learn a lesson. This, this particular word, maschil, means a lesson of wisdom. It's talking about something that, that you should be listening to because it's something that you should learn. And the first one we hear is this one, the reason I had Kelly sing this song. Psalms chapter 42, as the heart, or deer, panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This, and I wrote it here for you to see, it, it, it appertains to seeking God. This is the calling of the saints, the, the, the agape, to love him, to worship him, to, to desire him in, in a way that, that is, is connoted by a dear looking for water, looking for sustenance. And, and I think it's a beautiful message when we think about Korah and, and his desire to be something above and beyond what he was into what God really wants from us. And I think that's why the sons of Korah were involved specifically. It was talking about that lineage of desire, of, of want, of, of promotion. Get me to that next place, Lord. Get me to that next place. And, and what God is saying here is, I'll tell you what the next place is. Desiring me. The calling that I've given you is to call after me. As the deer pants after the water brook. As the deer goes seeking after that water to, to satiate its thirst, your soul should be doing that for me. This is, again, the calling of the saints. When, when you, I struggled for a while trying to understand what the saints truly were. We talk about that word so many times in this church because that's, that's one of the foundational things that, that we were taught as part of, of this ministry. And I struggled with it for a while because I, I wanted to understand what is, what is the root of this. There's so many things that being a saint means, and, and we can talk about saintliness for a very long time. We can talk about being set apart. We can talk about the calling and the ministry of the saints. We can talk about the paths and, and the plan that, that God has for the saints. We, we can look into Scripture and, and many times where the saints are called out specifically apart from Christians and what that means. Everybody who is a Christian, ideally loves the Lord, right? You are a Christ follower. We look at this day and age, and I see many Christians who are more in love with the world than they are in love with the Lord. I see many Christians who follow a, a path of, well, the Bible is a good book, but it is not necessarily the foundation upon which I live my life. We see many churches and Christians who take portions of the Bible and say, yes, this is good. No, this, is, this was for back then. It's not for today. We see many Christians who are more of a, a social Christian. I, I go to church. I, I will attend. I give my tithe, but I don't necessarily give my, my entire being, my whole heart. I don't give everything that I am to Christ or the church. We see Christians like this everywhere, and I don't judge them. I'm not saying that they're going to hell. I, I'm just saying that's the kind of person that's out there today. We have many Christians who are going to heaven, who love the Lord, but not necessarily live for him and desire him, as, as the scripture here um, points out. As the deer pants 
after the water brook, so my soul panteth after thee, O God. I think this is a beautiful message coming from the sons of Korah who said, I want to be more than I am today. And, and God giving us this recipe of, well, if you want more, desire me more. Because that's what's going to get you to that next place. There are, I, look, I, I, I freely admit I'm an ambitious guy. I, I want to go places. I want to do things for the kingdom of God. Um, and and I, I don't necessarily want to do it for um, accolades. I don't necessarily want people to notice me and say how great you are baby. And I, I told the Lord very early on when he called me into the ministry, I, I said, look, Lord, I don't want to be great. I want to be used. I want to be used by you. And, and if that comes with greatness, fine, but that's not my goal. My goal is to, to do the desires of your heart, Father. And, and I, I have tried to live my life that way, saying, Lord, what do you want? How, how can I propel your message? And, and I see the sons of Korah, or I see Korah doing quite the opposite. You know, I, I want to be great. I want to be the leader. I know I can do things so much better than, than Moses did. Um, I, I know that the enemy comes in and he says, you, you could be like God. You could be like pastor. You could be this and that. And, and that ambition comes in and it rises up and it's saying, you could do this better. And, and the Lord comes in and he says, I'll, I'll tell you what's better. Me. That's what's better. That's the foundation, and that's the calling of the saints. Let's look at the other one, Psalms chapter 44. To the chief musician for the sons of Korah, again, Mashiel, lessons or songs of wisdom. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old, how thou didst drive out the heathen with your hand, and planted them, how you did afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but the right hand, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your countenance, because thou hadst a favor unto them. Thou art my king, O God. Command deliverance, says for Jacob. Through thee will we push down our enemies. Through your name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But you have saved us from our enemies and has put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long and praise your name forever. Selah. I, I put down here at the bottom, provision in time of need resting on the past exploits of God. I, I look at everything that God has done for our body, for my family, for the church, and, and remember that God has done these things. And, and I think, again, this is a great lesson from the sons of Korah who say, we, we can rise up and do these great exploits. And, and God is saying, it is me who is doing all these exploits. It is me who is propelling you and moving you forward. It is me who is making these things great. When, when you are in times of trouble, when you are facing the enemy head on and he's saying, I've got you now. I'm gonna take you down. I'm gonna destroy you. We can remember that God is the one who did all these things, who drove out the heathen with his hand, who planted us in the place that we needed to be planted. Let's look at Psalms 46. This is, this is an important one for us. Again, to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a song upon Alamoth. Alamoth here means that it, it needed to be sung by um, 
<clears throat> a soprano or a woman's voice, very high. <gasps> so God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We, we sing, God is our refuge, God is our strength. It actually needed to be sung higher than that according to the, to the way that it was written. Therefore, will not we fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea? Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He makes wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spirit in sunder. He burned the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Again, and then I put a little thing so you can understand sung by sopranos uh, it is a celebration for us to understand what god has done in our lives it's it's beautiful when we look at the way that it was written the the mashil the alamoth the way that the psalms were written were obviously songs they were songs that were to be sung they were poems that were be that were to be recited that this coming from people who knew what ambition was and were trying to move forward in their own way and how, how the, the generations after recognized that and said, no, we're going to follow after the heart of God. Psalm 47, last one. This is really talking about the, the promise of the future and where we are going. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto the God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord most high is terrible. He is, great, he is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved, Selah. <clears throat> I think about, that's the end of the, the scriptures, but I think about, I, I think about what the Lord is doing, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, I have no idea what the Lord is doing um, most of the time. Today, more than any other day. I, I know this is what the Lord wanted me to bring, but, but what I don't know is what the Lord is doing Next, and I, and I think that's true for a lot of ministers, and, and especially here in our network, who are at the forefront of, of God's ministry, where it's not a confusion thing. It's not a, I'm not listening to the heart of God. I, I truly believe there are times when the Lord covers us with his hand, the way that he did with Moses, in order for us to not see that front part we don't see what's coming ahead on purpose we don't see what god is doing next because i i truly believe that as humans we would question the validity of it we would question the efficacy of it we would question why we're doing those things next and not something else i think if we had allowed our humanity and our carnal thoughts to push this church forward 
this church would look very different, but I guarantee we would not necessarily be following the heart of God. And, and I think that's really the message that God is bringing to me specifically about what I just read. When I think about the desires of my heart in ministry and, and what I feel God wants to do, I, I am very, um, as I said earlier, I'm very ambitious. I, I, there's a lot of things that I want to do, a lot of things that I know we could do, but, but I don't necessarily th- think they are things that God wants us to do. We, we look at the, the, the audience that's here at this church and, and think, could we have more people? Yeah, probably. If I, we were talking the other day um, with one of the members of our church, and, and we were talking about inviting people to service and, and how people are sometimes hesitant to invite people to our service, especially if they are either new to Christianity or, or new in their walk of uh, faith or, or have been a Christian for a while, but they're seeking something more. I, I see us as, I don't want to say the end all be all. I'm, I'm going to try to be very careful here. Uh, I don't see us as we have attained it. I'm not saying that, but I, but I truly feel like we are a very unique church in that we, we follow hard after the heart of God, and that's a lesson that is learned through many, many years of discipline and intercession and faith. And walking into our church, I think many people are hard-pressed to hear that message having not walked it. It's like if you go into a, a class um, for college— and you have no idea what the professor is talking about because there's so many foundational things that you have yet to learn that get you to the place of understanding. And I think that's where we are as a body. So we talk about, you know, inviting people and how people are hesitant. I, you know, I don't want so-and-so to come to this church and then just be completely lost and then be turned away from knowing and loving the Lord and, and how there might be uh, a stepping stone church that they can attend before they get here. And, and it's, I'd never have a problem inviting people to our church. Not that I have an opportunity to very much, but um, I say, come. You know, there was this one guy that came to our church. Nobody knew him. He just kind of showed up. And, and he said, you know, I just, I, I feel like I need to go somewhere. And, and, I, and, and so I saw this church and I felt led to come in. And, and he he was looking for pastor. I spoke that, that morning, much like today, pastor was out of town. So I spoke with this guy in Peace Chapel. And he said, so what do you think? And I said, well, brother, you just need to pray and, and ask the Lord where he wants you to go. And I said, maybe it's this church. Maybe, maybe this is where you need to be. And I said, but maybe it's not. We, we are, we're not a social church. We don't have a whole lot of programs. We don't have like a men's group or anything like that. Our, our purpose, our calling is to follow the desires in the heart of God, to intercede, to, to push hard after him. And I said, and sometimes that's not for everybody, but, but I wanted you to know that because that's, that's what we're here for. And he said, man, you're just giving me the hard sell, aren't you? And I said, yeah, you're right. It, it is kind of, it, it kind of feels like I'm pushing you away. And I said, I'm, not, I'm really not. I, we would love for you to be here, but you need to pray about where God wants you because this might not be the place for you. Maybe it is, but you need to call onto the Lord for that. He never came back, obviously. He's not here today sitting in one of our pews. Um, 
and, and I thought about what I said at the time, and, and I, I, I think I said the right thing because what we don't want is people to come in here and not get what they need from the Lord. I believe you can come here and get something from the Lord if you desire it, if you're fighting for it. If you want more of God, there's people that do come that, that some of our, our young people have invited that get what they need out of this. But they don't come every week, but, but they come to this place and they think, wow, that's refreshing. Wow, the Spirit of the Lord is here. Wow, I want to try to come back, and, and maybe they don't get an opportunity to. But they recognize that this is a different place. This is about you working and, and fighting for God. And it's not a, a touchy-feely place. We have, I believe, great worship, but it's worship that you have to fight for. Let's be clear. You have to embed yourself into what's going on at the time in worship. There's, there's not um, this, this spirit of, of amazing orchestra band music, and, and we're going we're gonna to drive you into the spirit with, with all of our instruments and with all of our singing. We're going to lead you. We're not going to drive you. You've got to drive yourself, and it's a hard message for many people to understand, and, and I think the opposite is also true. We come up here, and we sing prophetically. We, we allow the Lord's Spirit to just kind of move through um, the singers, through worship, and, and a lot of people who do come in here, you know, from the streets, if you will, they, they come in, and they, they just doesn't, doesn't resonate with them. Where's, where are the words? Where, where can I follow along? These, this is music that I don't recognize, and, and so a lot of people would come in the middle of worship and get driven away in the middle of worship because they were like, I, I just don't get it. it. It's a very different environment than, than you will find in most churches. And, and I, I'm, I'm proud to say, I guess, that I wouldn't trade it for all the people in the world because this is the place where you go to find the heart of God. This is the place you go to find yourself in the heart of God when you're truly seeking after it. You know, as a, as a teacher, as an instructor, uh, you, you learn very early on the lesson of there are students who go to school because they have a desire to learn. And, and this is obviously above, you know, um, elementary and junior high and all that. The, the kids who go to college with a desire to learn, that have a path, that, that want to be something when they quote-unquote grow up, post-college, I'm going to be X. And, and when I become that or to become that, I have to learn all of these things at school. And so I'm going to work hard at school. There's people that go to school and they just go to get it over with. My parents paid for college. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get it done. And, and that's it. It's over. There's some people that go to college and, and they, they leave halfway through it because college is just not for them. That's not the way they learn. It's not how they understand. It's not a bad thing. It's just different. So they leave college and then they go off and, and then use the world to learn. But there's other people, again, who, who go to college and they get as much as they can out of the experience because they know that it's going to lead to something potentially in the future. And, and that's how I see this walk that we have. And there's people who leave in the middle. There's people who, who start off and finish it but then just leave afterwards. And then there are the people who stay knowing that there's something coming at the end, that you will have learned all of these foundational things. That's, that's this church. That is the Saints Network. That's, that's why you're not seeing droves of people coming to this walk, because we know it's a hard one. 
And, and I continue to think about the sons of Korah. I, I, I think about Korah specifically and, and how he said, there's, there's got to be more. There's so much more that my group can be doing, and, and there's an ambition to that. And, and whether it's a godly ambition or not, there is a desire to do more in the kingdom when you think of it that way. Korah wanted to be more in the kingdom. These other people wanted to be more in the kingdom. They thought they could lead better than Moses. Moses, we know, we know Moses was, was stuttering. He was plodding along. We know that, that he was probably not the best leader. He, he wasn't talking to the people. He wasn't preparing the people necessarily. He would go off for, for days at a time into the mountain doing what? Seeking the face of God. And where were the people? Down in the valley, worshiping idols, putting together these, these golden calves so that they could do something because they were bored. So when you think about Moses as a leader, he was not a very good one from that perspective. But, but when you think about what Moses was trying to do and what did make Moses the leader these people needed was he was trying to hear the heart of God, the voice of God. And that's what God wanted from Moses. So Moses would then come down and say, okay, here's what God is saying. You guys don't want to talk to him. I'll talk to him for you, but it's going to take investment. It's going to take time. And so he would go to the mountain. He would get instruction. He would come down to the people and he would say, hey, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to do it. The people are the ones who struggled with that because they felt like they had no leadership. And so it, it makes sense for someone like Korah to say, I can do this better. I think the difference between what Korah would have done and what Moses did was Korah would have been with the people. He would have been in the world and learning of the world what would needed to happen. And he probably would have looked at this thing. Kelly gets mad at me because I, I'll stand in the kitchen and she'll be cutting some fruit or doing something, um, cooking, and, and I'll, I'll just kind of stare at, at her and what she's doing and not saying anything. I know better. Not saying anything. I'm just kind of looking at her and, and she'll say, stop judging me. I know I'm doing this wrong or something like that. And, and so I have learned, again, not to say anything and I'm not judging her, but I think, yeah, if you held the knife a little bit differently, you might be a little bit better at cutting. Um, so she gets mad at me because I, I think about efficiencies and better ways that we can do things. I think about, well, if she had used a different knife, you should have used a chef knife, not that little paring knife. I think about things like that. Don't tell her, obviously, but she knows. She can feel the judgment coming from me. And so she'll say to me, don't judge me. Stop, stop trying to process efficiency me. I feel like that's what Cora was. He looked at this and he said, there's so much... There's a better way to have done this. I don't understand why, if the vessel is there and it's uncovered, why my people can't just go ahead and cover the vessel and carry it out of here. That's efficiency when you think about it. Why does there have to be a separate group doing all of these things? So I, I understand Korah. And, and at times I may even agree with Korah. The difference is that Moses said, I don't care what I think. I care what God thinks. There's a reason. There's a rhyme and a reason for the way that God has this established. And you don't know his ways and you don't have that understanding. So just do it that way. And that's why Korah and his group rose up. They were tired of it. There's got to be a better way. And what we find is when that type of environment happens or you allow that to happen, 
um, we see throughout in the, the pattern of the Old Testament where the people who said, give us a king instead of a prophet. Give us a king instead of a judge. Give us a king instead of a priest or someone who's going to lead us. We don't want to be led by God. We want to be led by man. Recognize that. That's what happened in the Old Testament. Stop leading us, Lord, and let a man lead us. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you a king. And he gave him Saul. Then he gave him David and, and, and Solomon. He gave him all these kings in between there. And, and what happened with those kings? We see the nation of Israel begin to decline because as the king begins to move forward in his relationship with the world, he begins to acquire what? Wives. Wives to perform treaties with other nations. And these, these, these tribes get together now that the king and the concubine uh, or, or the wife, the mistress, whatever you want to call her, now that they're married, now that they're together, they're, they're, they're combining their traditions. They're combining their relationship. And we see where the people of God begin to falter as they start following what? False gods. They start to follow and, and to erect all of these idols and, and statues and other temples to gods that are not their god. So the, the pattern of the Old Testament is God wants to lead you, but when you let man lead you, everything just falls apart. But that's what Korah wanted because he didn't understand the true nature of God, what God wants, and that was to desire him. And, and it's beautiful to see the redemption story with the sons of Korah, where, where you begin to see them singing as the, as the deer pants after the water brook. We have heard it with our ears, and our fathers have told us what was, what was done before and what you're going to do now. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in, in trouble. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. There's, there's many psalms like this that have nothing to do with the sons of Korah, but it's beautiful to see the, the redemption of the sons of Korah. So, so what does this mean for us? I don't know. Maybe you're ambitious like me, and, and you need to hear this message and, and say, hey, calm down. God's got this. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's about what our calling as a saint is and how difficult God knows that it is. It's beautiful, but it's difficult. Maybe, it, maybe it's about looking at the world and saying, everybody needs this. How can I bring this to the rest of the world? What is, what is my ministry unto the rest of the world to know that the heart of God is really what you're after? And it's not about being a good person. It's not about going to church. It's, it's not about doing all the duties of a Christian. It's about God and knowing God. Maybe that's, that's as simple as the message needs to be. Do you know God? How do you know God? Well, first you have to invite Jesus into your heart. That's number one. We, the only way to the Father is through him. But once you know Jesus, you begin to know God and what he's doing. It's, it sounds simple, but it's so hard to articulate sometimes. And it's so hard, especially... In this day and age where, where people believe just so many different, I'm going to say crazy things, how, how does that not become noise when, when so many churches, Christian churches, are accepting this world as it is and not as God wants it to be? We, we, have, a, we have a very severe battle ahead of us. Not that we are fighting the battle necessarily, 
but but we are having to deal with the with the ins and outs of that battle. We are basically um, what's the word? I, I just I just lost the word. Collateral damage. We are the collateral damage of the war going on in the heavens because we are interceding. We are on the front lines. We are there with God, fighting in in intercession, and the world is coming against us first. So what happens? is you get inundated, you get attacked by the enemy, whether it's in your body, whether it's in your emotions, in your mind. The enemy comes and attacks you, and he says, where is God? There's so many psalms that say that type of thing. God, where are you? I thought you were going to protect me. You, you said you would be my refuge, but the enemy is coming in and attacking all these things. I, I was, again, reading through the book of psalms and, and just doing a search for the word selah, you're going to find that. Because David experienced it as well on that front line. Lord, the enemy has come, and I am being oppressed. Selah. He pauses right there in this song. And he says, you, 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 I have a problem. And then right next to that is, is the passage of promise. But you will be my strength. You will be my refuge. You are the one that's going to bring me out of this. And then that next passage down, and this is what God did. This was the fulfillment of of all the things that you said you were going to do, and at the end of that, Selah. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Pray on it. Pause. Worship. Praise. Another translation that, that scholars believe Selah is truly is lift up. So they think that, that it either means pause, it's a musical connotation for you to, to stop and reflect, or it's a place where you can lift up and say this is the, the transition of what's coming next. Despite, regardless of what you believe about that, we know that God is saying, I want you to reflect upon what is going on here. Whether you're lifting it up to me or whether you're just taking it within yourself, listen to what was just said. I know you're going to go through things. I know the enemy is going to attack you and probably first because you're on that front line. But my help is with you. I am with you. I am your refuge I am your strength. Rely on me. Seek my face, and I will be there for you. That's, that's I think, what the message of the Lord is. That when we think about Selah and, and all the things that it could or could not mean, what we really need to understand is seeking the face of the Lord is our primary goal. And all these things will be added unto us later. Father, I thank you for all that you have done for this body. Lord, the revelation that has come to this church through our pastor, the, the many books that have been written that have gone out into the world and touched so many different lives, the people that have found themselves aligned with this message and are calling for us to intercede with them, for them, and, and for the people that have gone out from this house into the nations to minister unto them, into the, to our nation and out to other nations. Lord, the people that are attributed with our saints' network, how they have just fallen in line with loving you, regardless of their denomination, regardless of their, their foundational Christian beliefs, they know one thing, and that is that you are God and you are to be sought. And Lord, we have sought you. We will intercede with you. We will intercede on, on behalf of the people that are out there on this world that don't know you, either as a personal Savior or, Lord, as a partner, as a friend. We seek Lord, to expand your kingdom, but more than anything, we seek your face and your heart and your desires. What is it that you want from us? And whether it be to burden, to carry the things that have already been done, Lord, we welcome your call.
Lord, we want to do great things, but more than anything, we want to be used. And so we call upon you to use us in whatever way you see fit. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have already done, all the great ministry that has happened as part of this church and this body from the Saints Network. We thank you for it, and we thank you for all that you're going to do. Even now, we have members of this church who are out there ministering to saints, to Christians in, in the world. Father, bless them, protect them, use them, strengthen them, provide for them as they seek your heart more than anything, and they seek to expand the, a, a relationship with you for these people. Lord, we look forward to the testimony that's going to come from this mission, from this trip. We look forward to the next thing that you're going to do after that. We look forward to working with you right alongside, hand in hand. That is what you have called us to. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We will see you uh, again later.